Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. This is the second message in I Choose My Future Story. And today, I want to anchor the message in the story of a man named Jeremiah who was a prophet during the 6th century. Jeremiah wrote two parts of the Old Testament. He wrote the prophecy of Jeremiah, and he is considered to be one of the major prophets. He also wrote the book of Lamentations. Do you know what the word Lamentations means? Lamentations is the writing of one who laments. It's a book of, that expresses sadness and sorrow and pain and grief. And Jeremiah, he was a prophet during the 6th century B.C., during a very difficult time in the life of Israel. While he was a prophet, he witnessed the destruction of the temple. He witnessed the dismantling of the throne of David. And then he watched as people were exiled to Babylon. During this time, he was the one who had to bring both a message of judgment, but also a message of comfort. And he did this over about 40 years. He was called to be a prophet when he was about 17. God tapped him on the shoulder and said, I want you to be my messenger. Lamentations would be the equivalent of you sitting down every day and writing the deepest things from your heart, your pains, your worries, your sorrow, your suffering, everything that you're feeling and offering it up to God. Uh, imagine if we were to take your diary or your journal and I were to stand up here and read it before you. That's what we have. We have the private inner working prayers and thoughts of someone who lived for God his entire life, served God for decades. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is so incredibly relevant. It is so real. And anything that you've ever been through, everything you've ever experienced, is something that you can find the human emotions present here in this book. Now I want to read to you, there's a portion here which talks about God's faithfulness to us, His mercy to us, His kindness to us. But we often don't read is we don't read what's around it. And I want you to see the way Jeremiah works here. He says, in uh, the beginning of chapter 3, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction. And then in verse 19, he writes these words, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Now here he is writing, he's thinking about what he's been through, he's thinking about the pain and suffering that his country's experienced, he's thinking about the message he's had to deliver and the reception that he's received, he is thinking about the burdens, the agonies, the hurts, the resentments, the things that we all feel when we sometimes think about our past. I bet this morning, if I was to just scratch a little bit of the surface of every person in this room... I bet it would not take long for me to reveal a resentment. 
to reveal a betrayal, to find a wound, to find something there that when you remember, it brings your soul to a dark place. He's saying, when I remember these things, it takes my soul to a dark, dark place. But then he says this. In those moments, I call this to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Great thing here. We may not be able to change our past, but we can change the way we think about it. How we think about our past, how we perceive it, does shape the way that we make choices for the future. He says, in spite of what I've been through, I am hope-filled when I think about my past. Because, he says, of the Lord's great love, because of that great love, we are not consumed. What he's saying is that when I think about who I am, where I've been, the things that trouble me, the things that pain me, the way I feel trapped, the way I feel lost, the way I feel sorrow, any of the human emotions, I am not consumed by them because when I think about those thoughts, what happens, what comes to mind is God's goodness. What comes to mind is that God's compassions never fail. That in spite of how people have failed me, in spite of how I failed myself, there is a love beyond me, there's a love beyond this world that is so great, so fantastic, so true, so real, that it will never fail. And then he says this, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that. Do you know what that says? Do you know what the word is there for you, for me, for all of us this morning? It is this. Every day when I get out of bed, and every day when you get out of bed, the creator of the universe, the patient, creative, loving God, is there to meet us at the beginning of a new day to say, what are we going to do today? What will our day be? Today is the day that I have made, and we're going to rejoice, and we're going to be glad in it. You see, at the beginning of every single day, when you wake up, God meets you at the beginning of the day and says, Hey, I'm ready to help you write your future story. You may be a product of your past, but you do not have to be a prisoner of it. I have the key to your future. I have the hope for you. I'm going to start preaching. I'm, I'm just into it. I got a hope. I got a hope for you, and you get to choose the story that you want. It's not just you getting up and making it happen. It's me getting up and helping you with it at the break of every day. In spite of your past, God meets you where you are and says, let's mate and let's write a future story. And here's what he says. So I say to myself, hey, listen, I'm not going to think you're crazy if you talk to yourself. If you're not talking to yourself... You're not helping yourself because you've got to talk yourself out of the pain. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, meaning the Lord is going to satisfy me. Therefore, I'm going to wait for him. And the Lord is good to those who hope in him. 
to the one who seeks him. Now, now, what's powerful about these words, again, is when you consider the person who's writing them. He was 17 years old. His life was filled with ambition and wanted to be popular, wanted to be loved, wanted to be liked like any one of us at the age of 17, filled with ego and filled with pride about what we want to do in the world. And God taps him on the shoulder and says, guess what? You're going to have a great mission. I'm going to pick you for this big task. And can you imagine how he felt? God of all the people has chosen me to be his prophet. And then the very next thing he says, oh, by the way, nobody's going to like you. Everybody's going to hate you. And they're going to reject you and they're going to betray you. Because you're going to be bringing a message to the world that nobody wants to hear. Everybody else is going to be saying, everything's great, everything's good, just keep doing what you're doing. But Jeremiah, you're going to be bringing truth to the world, and as a result, you're going to be rejected because of it. But I'm going to be with you, I'm going to stand there with you, so be faithful to me. What a great, what a message to hear. And then you see his life. At one point, he was so despised that they threw him into the bottom of a pit and he sank up to his chest in mud. He endured loneliness, he endured hardship, he endured great, great amounts of suffering and self-doubt. At one point he even goes to say, God, I just loathe the day that I was even born and curse my mother for bringing me into this world. So here he is saying, but what I've learned from all this, and this is what we learned from his story, is that, that our purpose is to live our life on purpose that our desire in life is to please God and not to please others to put our hope in him and not in what other people think of us the the, the reality is the reality is to live life on purpose sometimes will put you at odds with the world around you And if you spend your life looking for the approval of others, as uh, Lecrae, uh, a Grammy award-winning artist, said, if you spend your life living for the approval of others, you will die by their rejection. So you put your hope in God and not what other people think about it. And the truth is, a lot of us never live the life that we were called to live because we're living somebody else's life. We're, we are just much too concerned about what other people think about us. It's not, it's not that you want people to dislike you. But the whole idea about choosing your life, if God is with us and God has chosen us, the life that you're called to live, you're called to live a life that brings value to the world, brings value to other people. And if your whole life is driven by a winning the approval of others, you can never ever live that life. And so what happened to what happened to Jeremiah as he began to live life's purpose is that eventually what happened was God used all the moments of his life to shaping into the man he would be, including his pain. But let me make this point then. When I look at Jeremiah's life, this is the thing that I realize. I realize two things. I realize that there's always hope. There's always, always hope. For the teenager in the room who's been labeled a troublemaker in your school, you can start over, you can begin it again. For the person in the room who's struggling through a marriage or relationship issue, you can flip the narrative and change the script. For the seasoned adult in the room who wonders, you know, what, what, what does life have left for me? You have wisdom. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Share it. Live it. 
there's always hope. But the second thing I learned is that, that pain, pain itself is redemptive. Hard times are redemptive. That's what we learn, that God takes hard times, pain, and suffering. He recycles it, repurposes it so that we can use it. You see, what pain does, pain is a gift because pain strips us of the, the grip of our ego. Pain strips us of the gift of our pride. And pain can become a very noble teacher if we allow it to teach us. Sometimes our purpose, our life's message is found in our deepest pain. Personal story. So I served another church in Texas. And small church, growing church. It was easy to grow a church in this community because the community was growing rapidly. But there was another church in town that was growing really rapidly. And like any of you, young, ambitious, wanting to succeed, wanting to make a name for myself, and filled with a lot of pride. The Methodist church grew by leaps and bounds, and I began to harbor resentment about it. I called their new building the Methadome. I mean, it was big. And they outgrew their one facility and bought this big piece of property, the ideal piece of property. And when they bought it, they built like the most extravagant place you've ever seen. I mean, the minister's office even had a big bathroom in it. It was awesome. I mean, why don't I have a bathroom in my office, you know? I could have walked down the hall. And uh, it was an amazing, it was an amazing facility. And I couldn't understand why, why, you know, I felt like, well, I'm as good a preacher as that minister. And I listened to his sermons. I thought, my sermons are as good and sometimes better than his. Why are people flocking to that? That's just not fair. Just because they're Methodists and we're Christian, nobody knows who we are. And I, and I just, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't proud of the way I felt. You know, I'm supposed to be in it for, the, you know, the work and, and it's a, and for purpose. Why am I, I'm not here to build a big church. I'm here to reach people, but I was What's my life supposed to be? So every time I drove by this church, I felt small, I felt little, and I didn't like the way it made me feel. So one day I'm driving by, and I wouldn't even go in the building. One day I'm driving by the building, and I decide I'm going to go inside. I'm just going to confront the demon, and not them, I mean the demon and me. (laughs) And so, so I walk into the building, and I just hear in an inner voice the Lord say to me, you need to pray for the pastor that you resent. Let me take that away from you. It's not right. It's unholy. So I went into the building, and I go into the chapel, and the chapel's bigger than this room. It's got cool stained glass. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of coming to terms with, with this awful feeling and this pain inside of me the way I feel. I don't like it. I don't like my e- I don't like it. And I'm praying for the pastor. And then in walks a staff member. Hey, David, what are you doing here? Would you like a tour of our building? It's awesome. Isn't our building awesome? Do you realize we have PlayStation 2s in the building? And and parents who have their kids in our preschool can watch their kids on monitor where they work. And it's awesome. This is a cool place. And the more he talked, the smaller I felt, you know. He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm here because I want to pray. I want to pray for your staff. I just feel compelled to pray for you. And then I said, how can I pray for you? And he got a little tear in his eye, actually. He said, I'm hurting. I said, this is a great place, but not everything's great. I work all the time. I'm not with my family very much, and I'm just miserable. Family problems, a lot of stress. 
Would you pray with me? And I reached out my hands and held his hands and prayed for him. And then he got up and left. And then inside me, I prayed this prayer. Lord, just thank you. Thank you for not giving me what I asked for and what I wanted, but giving me instead what you want me to be. Do you know what happened after that? Within a very short period of time, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month, I got a phone call one day. A guy named Ed Huckleberry, he called and he says, My, I'm, I'm Ed Huckleberry, I'm calling from Louisville, Kentucky. We're looking for a new senior pastor. Would you be willing to talk to us? And wouldn't you know that God picked me up and brought me to Louisville, Kentucky and put me down the street from the mega of all mega churches. <laughs> and if I walk over here, I can see the biggest steeple in the world, okay? Let me tell you something. If God, if God had not used my pain to teach me about my ego, if he had not used my pain to teach me what my purpose was, I would have totally been consumed by it. I would have felt threatened by the other church. I would have seen the other church as my enemy, but they're not our enemies, they're our friends. We're doing the same work. You see, my purpose is not to build my empire. My purpose is to bring people to Jesus. And that's the wonderful thing about pain. If you understand that pain has a purpose, it gives you the ability to endure it. When you can look for meaning in your pain and allow God to recycle it and to use it and to heal it and to purpose it, he can use it to shape you, to mold you, to redo you, and to say that I have a purpose for you, a purpose for you in this world. I'm going to meet you every day and use your experience to teach you, you to humble you, to remove your pride from you. And, and you know what I heard the Lord say to me over and over again as I think about my life and about our life is, is we need to stop asking God the question, why is this happening to me? Because when we ask the question, why is this happening to me, what is it? That's just pride. It's not just happening to me, it's happening to everyone. What makes me think I'm so special to think that pain has singled me out? It hasn't. I'm a part of the human race. So I have to stop asking why and start asking, what can I learn from it? How can God use it? How can God redeem it? How can God use it? And how can I choose to be different in this point and write that future story? The problem we have is that we've grown up in a culture of entitlement. We think that we deserve something. We think we're entitled to this or we're entitled to that. You know, you deserve a break today. You don't deserve a break. I don't deserve a break. Nobody deserves anything. Life is not fair. And it will never be fair. And we have to begin asking the question, how can I learn from what I'm going through rather than asking why is this happening to me? The moment we begin to ask what can I learn from it is the moment our life begins to change. And I've come to realize that it is our capacity, our capacity to endure pain that determines our impact. And we are so quick to want to entertain our pain away, too quick to medicate our pain, uh, too quick to walk away from our pain, too quick to blame others, instead of walking through it and learning from it. If you run from your pain, 
If you hide from your pain, if you, don't, if you entertain away your pain, you will never gain the victory that comes from embracing it and walking through it and letting God redeem it. You, you, you see, you want to know who the people are in the world that make the greatest impact? It's the people who are able, who have a higher tolerance for pain. You know, for, in ministry, for example. The struggle every minister feels, and it's like anybody else's, we become ministers because we want to be liked. We want everybody to love each other, be liked. But we're also given a message that's sometimes not easy to like. And so you have to ask yourself a question. Do I want to be liked? Or do I want to impact people's lives? And I have to be willing to endure pain to be your pastor. And it's the same thing with you. If you want to make an impact in the world, you've got to experience and be willing to not numb away your pain. Thank you. And so what we learn is your purpose in life is not about you. It's about choosing something that's bigger than you. Let me say something then about purpose. What we can learn is that purpose is not a job title and it's not a career. Do you know what purpose is? We, we think of that. I'm looking for my purpose. I wish I could find my purpose. You know, if I could find my purpose, well, I'm, you know, at U of L, if I find my purpose, I'm going to have the right job. It's not about that at all. Pur what purpose is, is who you are. It's a combination of your life events, the things you go through, and what God shares with you, and how you show up every day in the world that you live in. It's your character, it's your virtues, it's your values. So it doesn't matter if you work at the Walmart over here, if you're the guy slicing the meat, or the one stocking the shelves, the one pushing in the carts, or the one managing the store. Everybody's, you, you carry your purpose from one to the other. Your purpose is the same. There's a manager at the Walmart. Her name is Kimberly. Kimberly is a member at Beargrass Christian Church. I, I like Kimberly because she just has a servant's heart. On Friday, it was snowing and raining, and older people were getting out to get groceries, and they were having to carry their bags to the cold and worrying about slipping. You know what Kimberly was doing? She was having the older people pull up their cars, and she was loading their bags into the cars. She's the manager of the store. Her purpose is not to be the manager of the store. Her purpose is to serve others. And she understands it about herself. So she was able to do that with humility. I walked up to her and I said, way to go. You're awesome. You're just incredibly awesome. She probably thinks I was crazy. I had, you know, had it to, you know, all covered up. You're awesome. Because, and I said, because you're living your purpose. The other thing I would point out to you is, is so when you go to a job and you go to some work and when you're, when you're you know, having difficult times at work, here's how you show up. You show up by being grateful for what the opportunities in front of you. You show up by working hard. 
You show up if other people are not treating other people fairly. If you show up at your job and other people are cheating other people and other, pe- other things are not going that are unsavory, you live a life of integrity regardless of what it costs you. You show compassion. You show forgiveness. And you let go of resentments. One of the other stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Joseph, he was a spoiled brat of a kid. His dad gave him a special coat says, you don't have to work. You can stay home with mama and, you know, help out. You don't have to do anything. Let your brothers go work in the fields. Well, one day when the brothers have the little brother in the field with the coat, they're tired of little brother. They throw little brother in the pit. They think they're going to kill him. Then some slave traders come by. They decide to sell Joseph off to the slave traders. Tell daddy, little brother's dead. We couldn't find the body. The lion dragged him off into the woods. Daddy cries. Everybody's sad. Joseph's gone. Joseph's spoiled kid suddenly goes off. He becomes a slave, gets thrown in prison, lives this horrible, difficult life. But you know what he made? He made a choice to learn from his pain. If he'd never had his pit, he'd never become the man he became. If Joseph had never been thrown in that pit, had not made good choices, Joseph would just be another cautionary tale of a spoiled kid whose daddy ruined him. But instead, he showed up every day, grateful, hardworking, with integrity, compassion, just making one small purposeful step, purposeful step after another. And then at the end of his life, you know what happened? God used him for something big. You see, God rewards faithful small things with big things. At the end, he saves all his brothers. All his brothers show up at the end of the story. They find out that, that Joseph's there. And they say, Joseph, we thought you'd kill us. And he goes, oh, no, brothers. I didn't want to kill you because I look back at my life now and realize that God used that pain to teach me something. And he used that pain and brought me to this place so I could save you. Ooh. Last thing. I'm going to stop. Muhammad Ali. Can you put that quote up? Muhammad Ali said this. The man who views the world the same at 50 that he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. Amen. We should be growing and choosing. Life is a journey that never ends. And I used to believe that, you know, I used to say this all the time. I'm going to preach a sermon that's going to change your life. Or that was a life, that was a life-changing moment for me. I've come to believe now that there is no one life-changing moment. There's no one epiphany that's going to change everything about your life. There are lots of moments that change your lives. It's about waking up every day and making choices and choosing to be the person that God created us to be, living our life and doing the best we can, learning from mistakes, getting up, getting the crap knocked out of us, and getting back up again, and letting God love on us and heal us, and saying, God, here I am, just use me, I'm ready for you to use me, I'm ready to go. Thank you, God. I just love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because every day we wake up, we have this God who walked in human form, became a human being, died, buried, resurrected, who meets us at the beginning of every day and said, let's go. What are we going to do today? You may be a product of your past, but you're not a prisoner of it.